0: hey this is michael thanks so much for listening to soma's podcast before this week's teaching i just want to take a second and thank you thanks for listening thanks for sharing and subscribing it makes a huge impact enjoy the message we're into the series we're talking relationships and if you missed last week last week was awesome it was good having friends come in Clayton and Shari. And uh, at the 11 a.m. service, we've got to celebrate God for a minute. Just in one service, we had 15 people come to faith in Christ at the 11 a.m. Yeah, so it's like, yeah. <laughs> Golf claps all around, okay? So there's a, a roar in heaven, okay? So it's all right. But the, but the idea is, man, God is doing a thing, and it's just fun to be a part and just ride that wave and just see God build his church, and, and it's a privilege. And today's much of the same. We're talking relationships. This is week three. And the reason why we're having this series is because it's a huge felt need. Everybody loves to talk about relationships. If you look at nonfiction bestsellers on the New York Times best-selling list, it's always like some kind of relationship advice book. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's, and a lot of it's garbage, but people buy that junk anyway because they love relationships. They love it. You sit around at home, you watch, think about the TV shows you watch. Right. If you're watching some kind of reality TV show, it's always about like relationships or the drama behind relationships. People love to see it on social media. Some of y'all smile at each other. Y'all are elbowing each other. People see it on social media, like the drama in relationships on social media. We love it. Drama in the cul-de-sac. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Relationships in the cul-de-sac. And we're drawn to it because we're built for relationships. You and I are. Matter of fact, everything meaningful in your life, Think about every meaningful moment in your life and all of it is attached to other people. The best moments in your life are with them. So your wedding day, the birth of your kids, the conception of your kids, the day you landed the job, the day you graduated, the day you learned to ride a bike, your birth, your birthday parties growing up, your, uh, your, the big game, right? You hit a winning uh, home run or, or scored a winning touchdown or a goal or whatever the case may be. Think about those moments. And they're meaningful because of others. If you take people out of the equation, none of those things really matter. None of those things really hold up. And in the same way, in the same way, uh, I want you to think of the most pain that you've suffered. I want you to think of the most heartache that you've endured. I want you to think of the the, the hurt that you've experienced, and it's usually from other people. That's how important relationships are. You're either adding value to people's lives, or you're taking value away from people. Right, you're either life giving or life sucking, and we want to be. We want to build a culture as Jesus followers that is life giving. When people spend time with us, when people spend time with us, they ought to come away feeling better for the time that they've spent with the follower of Jesus. Right, and so um, that's how important it is. And and so you're like, cool, sold me on all that. How do we do it? How do we get better? Um, The New Testament of your Bible, there's a New Testament imperative. When Brooke and I, this is all the way back to. I mean, we didn't start this. We just, something we prayed through and discovered as we were starting uh, SOMA is, hey, what is the felt need for church? Why do we even do this thing? It's so weird. We get together and someone talks for 35 minutes and they're singing and someone gives. And like, it's just a weird thing. Is it tradition or what's the felt need? And the felt need in the New Testament, New Testament imperative is one another. You need one another because you were made for one another and you can't follow Jesus in isolation. I'm gonna give you some examples in scripture. Romans twelve ten. Be devoted to one another in love. 1 Thessalonians 4.18. Therefore, therefore, encourage one another. 1 Peter 4.9. Offer hospitality to one another. And then I love that next line. Without grumbling. I like that. It's so good. So it's like offer hospitality and then people are like, dang, bro, I don't want to have them over without grumbling. And then Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another. Hebrews 13.1. Keep on loving one another as if to say at some point you're going to want to stop. You know what I mean? <laughs> Keep going. Keep on loving one another. Accept one another. Romans 15:7. John 13:35. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples. How? If I read my Bible, if I have perfect attendance in church, if I punch all the boxes, if I do all the things, if I'm good, if I'm more good than I am bad. No. If you love one another. That's how you preach. That's how you live a life that points to Jesus is what is what John 13:35 reminds us of. And so you get the idea. But the New Testament, those aren't exhaustive either. The New Testament writings, uh, especially the letters, there's all these admonitions that remind us that the way that we're called to live as Christ followers is to love God and to love people. And those two commands for us as Jesus followers are really one and the same. Right? So the way that I love people really well is I have to love God. I have to love people out of the overflow of my love for God so the spirit of God like in spending time with God building my relationship with Jesus looking more like Jesus I just love people better as a result of loving God that's the way that that works and here's what's really cool when I love people really well it preaches a great message people are drawn to that gospel people look at my life and they go man you just you're, I want what you got right and so that's basically I'm a good witness that's what John 13 35 everyone's gonna know if you're my d- disciple if you love people well And so um, here's what's crazy about the Christian faith. Every competing worldview, okay, every single one, all the other religions, those who have a secular mindset, new age thinking, all of these, they really make it about your ability to climb a ladder, to achieve success, to be more good than you are bad, to hit all the things, i got to do all the things. i got to not break the rules. i got to be good enough. And it's really just kind of this, it's a religious mindset, but really we see it everywhere. Secular thinking, New Age thinking, all, it's all over the place. And this idea is that I've got to work myself into right relationship with God. Or the way that I achieve success is that way. But following Jesus is the opposite of that. Following Jesus is not that way. Um. It's not about me and you. So that kind of mindset, that religious mindset of I've got to do good enough is really about my reward. Think about it. When you come on a Sunday and you're worshiping, who's that for? You, right? And when you're praying, who's that for? You. When you read your Bible, who's that for? Every spiritual discipline, God gives us these things to grow in our own faith. But they're really, only, they're really for us. And but, but what we see biblically is that we really come alive when we leverage all that God has given us for the sake of others. And that's what Jesus calls us into. That's really the, that's really the gospel message. Following Jesus is not about you. Following Jesus is about the you beside you. That's what it is. Um, loving God and the application for loving God is loving one another. That's what we see in Scripture. John 15, 12. Jesus says this, this is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Now, Jesus consolidates all of the law into that. That's crazy. How awesome is that? Like, that's insane. He says, this is my commandment. You love one another. And then I love this next part, because this is really important. We preach through this part, but it's really important. Just as I have loved you. It's like, man, can we just leave that off and just hit, like, love each other? You know what I mean? I don't really, I'm not up to that. I'm not up to par when it comes to loving people. I'm not on your level. But it's also the reason that the Apostle Paul can get by with saying this in Galatians 5, 6. Here's what Paul says. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And when we read that, we go, what about the rest of the Bible? What about the rest of the scripture? And we're talking about a guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And he's not saying don't pay attention to the rest of the scripture. Paul's saying, hey, everything that I wrote, all those letters to all those churches, that's commentary for, ex- for faith expressing itself through love. That's what that is. And so the thing that counts, the thing that matters, the thing that holds weight for eternity is expressing, it's, uh, faith expressing itself through love. And, so, and then Paul goes on, and he quotes Jesus in the same passage in Galatians 5. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And it's like, whoa, it's that simple, it's that simple, and it's that hard, right? Um, so Jesus, he gives us the great commandment in loving God and loving each other, and then the Apostle Paul comes around. And, uh, and initially, Paul's not even a believer or a follower of Jesus, right? So for those of you that are new to the Christian faith or those of you that are new to your Bible or the whole story, Paul becomes an apostle, becomes a really a disciple and a leader in the church. Um, but after years of confrontation against the church, pushing back on the idea of Jesus, pushing back, I mean, but God gets a hold of his life. And then he writes all these letters to the early church. And that's what we have in Scripture. He writes letters to, to church in Rome and Corinth and Ephesus and so on. Paul says, here is why we do what we do, church. Here's, here's the reason why we do what we do, because of what God did for us in Jesus. And that's it. Over and over. He says that over and over again in Scripture. The only reason why we do what we do is because it's exactly what Jesus God did for us in Jesus. And Paul begins to define what love really is. And so today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. If you don't, uh, if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to get you one. Let our team know. We'll put one in your hands. Um, but also, if you don't have one, you do have one. If you have a smartphone, just download the Bible app. Track with us. It's going to be on Sky Bible behind me as well. Those, uh, those U plus me cards are for notes. So if all you do today is just write down scripture references, it'll serve you well, okay? So First um, Corinthians 13. But before we get into that, um, Jesus, he gives the command to love God and love your neighbor. And then Paul comes along. And then Paul is given these marching orders by God to go and serve that message to the Gentiles. So Paul has to figure out, okay, i got to go to people who have no context. i gotta peep, I got to go to people and tell this gospel message about Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection and the good news of who Jesus is and the fact that God wants us to love him with everything we got so that we can love one another well. And so he's going, I'm operating, they have no Old Testament. The people that Paul goes to, they have no Old Testament They serve many gods or no God at all. They don't know anything about Jesus. They're not waiting on a Messiah. And Paul has to roll up and give these people some kind of application for what it means. Like, what is love? And so Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians thirteen what is called the love chapter. How many of you? 1 Corinthians thirteen. When you got married, it was on your little program for your wedding. It was on the invitations. Somebody hit that sucker in a message. No one. Okay, we're gonna do a se- we're gonna do a series on lying because all y'all y'all liars. That that junk is everywhere in a wedding. Okay, so we use that for we use that for uh, from for weddings a lot of times. But Paul's not talking about marriage here. He's not talking about romantic relationships, although it applies to every marriage. He's just talking about relationships in general. He's talking about love specifically, and then he begins to break down what love looks like. But Paul does it. Here's here's what's important about Paul. Every time Paul describes uh, in Scripture, he's not giving you new commands. He's not giving you anything new. He's only giving you commentary for love God and love people. And Paul is only doing this through the lens of Jesus. So Paul goes, okay, I'm going to define love for you based on the person of Christ. So that's, that's really what 1 Corinthians 13 is. Hey, you want to know what love is? Look at Jesus, and here's what it looks like. So let's, we're going to break it down. Here we go. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient. <clears throat> All right, cool. Right there. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Oh, it keeps no record of wrongs. Oh, love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Okay. So let's break it down. Love is patient. Love is patient. So I'm going to, today's talk, I, want, I just want to encourage you go home and Practice these things on any relationship in your life. It'll rock your world. Like if, you, if we do these things in our marriages, it'll transform our community and your home life and everything. But you apply it to any relationship. Love is patient, okay? Um, the idea is that love isn't pushy, right? So if someone's pushing you, they're not loving you. Uh, love chooses to move at the other person's pace. And, and here's why we know that. Because again... Um, God for us in Jesus does that same thing. So God's patient towards your pace. He's full of grace and mercy towards you. He loves you in spite of your timeline, and then he calls us to do the same for one another. I'm going to give you an example. Some of us have been following Jesus for years, some of us even decades, and uh, there's still parts of our lives that we're completely, like, we're completely missing the mark when it comes to looking like Jesus in that area of our life, and yet he still Waiting. He's patient. He still loves you. While you're trying to figure it out. While you're trying to love, pe- love him and love others. While you're trying to put off of your old self and put on Christ. He's waiting the whole time that that's happening. So we're called to love others by being patient. Love is a decision to wait on others. And it's a sobering teach for me. Because I am terrible at Patience. I'm one of the least patient people that I know. I'm not good at waiting. And uh, I want to say this too about this part of the passage. I think it's not a coincidence that Paul puts patience first in the order when he describes and defines what love is and gives us application for it. He's like, hey, you want to love people better? Be patient with them. Right? I I have serious road rage. I don't know if anybody else in here has road rage. I am horrible. Like, I'm literally, I just, if I'm on the interstate and you're going up at or below the speed limit and you're in the left lane, I lose my mind and my religion. I just like, I'm like, what is happening? You know what I mean? I, and, uh, but I feel like it's a metaphor for the rest of my life. Right? So, any, any things like that where you're like, yeah, I struggle with patience in, in scenarios like that, it, it's probably it probably shows up in other areas of your life. If it's showing up on the road, it's showing up in other areas. Love is patient. Second thing is love is kind. Love is kind. And uh, you, you might have in your head like all kinds of ideas about what kindness may mean, but kindness sounds, it sounds soft and weak, but it's actually an expression of strength. Kindness is lending another person your strength instead of reminding them of their weakness. That's kindness. So it's doing for others what they can't do in the moment for themselves. And again, for the New Testament and for, for Paul, everything that he asks us to do is always in Christ. It's always because of Jesus. I'll give you an example. Uh, kindness is, is love in response to weakness because it's what God does for us. While we were still sinners, Jesus gave his life for you and me, and he loaned us his, his strength in the middle of our weakness. And, that, and that's kindness. We're called to do the same. Single people. Where's all my single people at? We got single people in there. Raise your hand if you're a single person. Single people, y'all shy. Hit hit me with the hands, you know what I mean? And also pay attention if you're single. Pay attention to who's raising hands. You're welcome. Okay? So, but single people, uh, if you're in a dating season of life, pay attention to your date's response to the people that you're dating with or spending time with or you're attracted to. Pay attention to their response to other people's weakness. Okay? So pay attention to how they engage young children. Pay attention to how they engage the elderly or people who are slower, people who are poor, people with special needs or disabilities or anybody who's considered weak from a broader cultural standpoint. Pay attention to how they engage those who are weak because it's indicative of how kind they are. And, and listen, pay attention to how they talk to their mama. You know what I'm saying? Oh, man, I'm preaching now. So just pay attention. Pay attention to how they engage. Pay attention to how kind they are um, because love is kind. So it's patient and it's kind. And then he goes on. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Whew. Game over. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm, So it's, it's not prideful at all. Love, uh, love allows the other person to shine. So um, it, it doesn't have to be in the spotlight. Love lets the other person get the credit and the attention. Listen to this. The son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus lays down his authority. Jesus lays down his, um, the fact that he's God. He doesn't leverage that while he's here, but he comes and he takes on the form of a servant. And he comes and he focuses on others while he's here. And, and it's amazing. Love isn't threatened by other people's success. Think about that. Love doesn't have to add to the story or remind everybody in the room whose idea it was. How many, how many times have you, I mean, I've, I've struggled with this before, where you're in a setting, family, friends, whoever, work, and uh, someone is like, man, that's so cool, and they're talking about whatever the thing is, and you know, and you're like, that's my, that's my thing. But nobody credits you with the thing, you know what I'm talking about? You've been there? And you're like, oh, and you're weighing. You're like, do I say something? Do I not say something? So you're just trying to like presence yourself in front of it. You're just like, hey, you know, like, you know, like you're, you're trying to figure out how like, how do I let people know that this is my thing? But love doesn't care. Love doesn't care about getting credit. Isn't that crazy? Like, so, and, and we all struggle with this. The idea is it's not prideful. It's not boastful. It's not envious. Um... And Jesus was God, but he didn't allow his equality with God something to be taken advantage of while he was here on earth. He, he never plays the God card. Jesus would fo- He, he foregoes his privilege for the opportunity to better serve others. And so i got a question for us. Here's a great question. How easy is it for you, for those of you who are married, how easy is it for you to brag on your spouse publicly without having to add to it negatively? So somebody comes up to you knowing laughter again. Somebody comes up to you and they're like, "Man, that's so awesome that so and so did that so great. Your husband's so cool or whatever." And you're like, "Yeah, he's cool and everything, but." And then you hit him with like, you hit him with all the things he's garbage at, you know what I'm talking about? But behind every good man is a better woman, you know or whatever. You say you say stuff like that. <laughs> Which is true in my case. But you can't say that yourself, ladies. Just like you let him say that. Don't, you don't say that. It's weird for everyone when you say that about yourself. So it's not prideful. It's not boastful. It's not envious, right? And so be thinking about that. How can I, how can I make it about others? Behind, um, behind all of that, is this feeling of, man, I've got, to, I've got to presence myself in a certain way. I've got to, I've got to peacock a little bit. I've got to, you know, it's, it's really, it's making it about you. It's a selfish move. And so the mark of maturity, the mark of love, is being able to celebrate other people's wins. That's one way that you, like if you have people in your life that you're real close to, and they're just, they're, man, they're just in a season where they're just racking up wins. If you're struggling to celebrate them, that, that lets you know some things that you're struggling with, maybe in your soul and in your spirit. And so just be thinking about that because it's not boastful. It's not envious. It's not proud. And then Paul goes on. He says, it doesn't dishonor others. It does not dishonor others. Love doesn't behave disgracefully or dishonorably. And here's a great way to, here's a great way to frame that for me and for you. Love doesn't create regret. So what does it mean for me to to dishonor others is when I create regret for that individual. There's some of us, let's be real, um, that there are people in your life and they just regret that relationship. And it could be a working relationship, a dating relationship, a marriage. It could be you fill in the blank with what kind of relationship. But you don't want to become someone's regret. That's the idea. And you don't want to dishonor people in that way. And, um, and this one's hard because a lot of us have created A lot of regret in other people's lives. Our spouse, our kids, the people that we date, the people that we have dated, people in the workplace. But love doesn't dishonor. So love doesn't insist on another drink. Love doesn't insist on you blurring lines or crossing over healthy boundaries that you set up for that dating relationship. Love doesn't put you and your values in compromising situations. Love doesn't cause regret. It doesn't cause regret. Love doesn't dishonor. Guys, I'm going to talk to the fellas real quick, okay? And this is true for everybody in the room. But men, what if we said, I'm not going to dishonor another woman for the rest of my life with my words, with my looks, with my response behind her back with my friends for the rest of my life. I'm going to honor women the way that God in Christ honored me. It would change the game. It changed your marriage. It changed your family. It changed our community. It would mark people if we would honor people. And it's, it's an important thing because we see it in Philippians 2, 3. Honor is at the heart of every satisfying relationship for your life. This is Philippians 2.3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not because they're more valuable, because they're not, but because that's what God and Jesus did for me and you. Our value is established by Jesus' work on the cross. And this is how much Jesus says that we're worth when we see his life and his death and his resurrection. That's where our value is. That's where the value is of the person who's sitting next to you. And so Jesus says, hey, lay down your life and put them above yourself because that preaches a better message. That points people back to me. Even though by our own standards, you and I aren't worthy, in Jesus, we are. That's the beauty of the gospel. I don't even meet my own standards. I miss my own marks, okay? But in Jesus, I'm worthy. So love treats the other person as if they're more important than you and we all know how to do this. I want you to think about the people in your life. Maybe there's been moments in your life where you hosted someone that you thought was really important to you. Could have been an employer or a leader in the community or, you know, whatever. I don't know what that looks like. Or maybe you just met somebody who you just, you were really geeking out or you were nerding out because they were like, you know, star athlete or, um, you know, big time politician or, you know, some celebrity or whatever. But, Think about the honor that you bestow on complete strangers, people that you even know that don't add any value to you personally, but we we bestow all kinds of honor. I want you to think about whoever's important to you, like whoever you care about, people who are like, yeah, it would be so cool to meet them. Imagine if they come to dinner. What do you do? What you cleaning all them toilets? You clean all the floors. You're getting, I mean, you're catering that thing. You know what I mean? You ain't even going to try. You're like, we're going to jack that up. We're going to cater this thing. So you're getting, I mean, candles. Yeah, I like them candles. Get that caramel. You know, like you, you, you do all the things for this person who's a complete stranger, and you're bestowing all kinds of honor on them. But I just want to encourage you. That's the type of honor that we need to bestow on one another. That's the type of honor that you need to bestow on your spouse, on your kids, on your coworkers, on your peers at school, on the kids in the locker Like everybody. Live in a place of honor. Don't dishonor one another. But honor one another. And, um, and, and, you know, put others above ourselves. Because that's what Jesus did for us. He gave his life to pay for our sin, and God puts us ahead of the interest of his own son. <laughs> what? Uh, so put others ahead of yourself. Not because they deserve it. As a matter of fact, here's what's crazy. If they don't deserve it, right? It preaches even better when you honor people who don't deserve it. People, I mean, like complete enemies of yours. Like when you honor people, it just, it preaches a great message. People who don't deserve it at all. It's, it's the better that your life displays the gospel. So it does not dishonor others, but love also is not self-seeking. Love puts the interests and the needs of others first. So if two of you, let's say you're in a relationship with a good friend, best friend, uh, spouse, fiance, whatever. If you, if you would put the needs of one another above, if you would put their needs above your own, 90% of the issues that you're going to have in relationships are resolved just by serving the other individual rather than your own agenda. And we're all like, yeah, we got that, but it's hard. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, we're selfish, you know, <laughs> like I have a tendency to want to do what I want to do. The person that you have the most arguments with in your life, you both want the same thing your way, right? So a tip for those if you're in dating season of life. And again, this is only for those who are dating. If you're married, go to counseling. Also, we'll just continue to do this series and just apply it, okay? But like, so dating season of life. Quickest way to find out how, to, how self-seeking the other person is is to start with you in a relationship where you're trying to get to know people, right? Be really intentional. Don't be self-seeking. Put their needs first and then see if they reciprocate. Just serve them. See if they ever reciprocate. And if they don't, Mm -hmm. cut that sucker. Listen, if all you do is give and all they do is take, then all you got to do is run in Jesus' name. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) That's good preaching. Write that down. Um, Listen, the idea is I'm not going to match their selfishness or demand my own way if they take advantage of my generosity. But if you choose to be selfless and then they reciprocate, that's, good. that's a good sign, right? Or even better, if they lead as someone who's selfless, that's a good sign. So um, all of us are selfish, right? All of us desire what we want when we want it. We're naturally self-seeking. But that's why Jesus says, follow me. Like, you're going to have to follow me in this area. Because you cannot, I mean, you, you can't get there in your own. <laughs> you can't go there by yourself. Love's not self-seeking. Love's also not easily angered. The Greek word for angered is stirred up, just worked up. Love doesn't get ticked off easily, right? Love absorbs. Sometimes you just have to take it in love, take it in to love others well. You just have to absorb things sometimes. You have to take it on. And again, we see this modeled in Jesus. We do that because that's what Jesus does for us. Time and time again. Love doesn't just react. Um, every single one of us get angry. Some of y'all are like, listen, I am, I am you know, I, I get angry, but my anger is justified. You know I every, Everybody thinks their anger is justified, by the way. Right? And so we struggle to know the difference between what is my flesh and what is the spirit. What is anger that is just in me because I'm selfish and I want what I want when I want it? And what is anger that really just needs to be there because it's the right thing? And here's how you know the difference between righteous anger and just anger in your flesh. Righteous anger is always about others. (laughs) Isn't it cool? Like it applies to everything. So righteous anger is like, hey, when was the last time you got angry about kids starving? When was the last time you got angry... Angry about people sexually abusing other people. When's the last time you got angry about highly religious people keeping people who want to get to Jesus away from the church and away from the gospel message because they like when's the last time you got angry about those things versus you got angry just because you didn't get your way? Majority of my anger is about me not getting what I want when I want it. Not righteous anger. You see Jesus in scripture, people are like, Jesus was angry. Yes, that's righteous anger. That's a great example of righteous anger. And if you're in that space where you're angry over righteous reasons, I think God will use that. But I'm telling you, the majority of what we get angry over is just us being selfish. It's not easily angered. It's not easily angered. And so, again, for my single people, some people going into dating life, try to find... you know, they have the single people. Sometimes we have this mentality. There's like a mythical one. You know what I'm talking about? Like seven and a half billion people on the globe. And we're like, I'm going to find that unicorn. There's one person. It's my soulmate. Like, what if they're in another country? You know what I mean? What if they're like in a, di- like, dang, what if they're dead? You know what I mean? Like, what if, a, like, what if, what if I never meet them? What if they speak a different language? What if, you know, and you're, you start like, you're, you're like worried about all these things. Um, and, and people have this idea that the person that I'm going to marry, I'm never going to be angry at. Never going to be angry. The devil is a liar. Like, all my, all my married people say amen. Somebody say amen. amen. Yeah, see? Told you. Like, so the idea is, listen, it, it's not out there, and you can't wait until, like, all the stars align. Most of the time when we're angry, you know what? It's in us. It's, that selfish, it's that selfish anger. So the idea is, you know, if I find the right person... They're not going to make me angry. And no one makes you angry. They just bring it out of you. It's already there. Okay? So, um, it's worth asking everybody who's in the room, am I someone who's easily angered? Think about it. Just let it sit. And then why? Why am I easily angered? Because that's not love. Again, not according to me, but Paul's assessment of how Jesus loves us. So, he goes on. He says, love, it also keeps no record of wrongs. Mm. So, some of us, listen, some of us got like that. You know that filing cabinet that your spouse keeps? You know what I'm talking about? And it's all the records of all the dumb junk you've ever done or said or whatever. And they pull that sucker out. It's like, hey, September 22nd, 2009. You remember when you said this? It was like 7 p.m. It was really dumb. You remember when you said that, right? Is love keeps no record of wrongs. Isn't it funny, the same people who keep record of our wrongs, they misplace their record? <laughs> like, dang, I don't find my, my files are not in here anywhere. <laughs> Somebody needs to do an audit. <laughs> right? But love keeps no record of wrongs. Um, here's a great line of questioning for all of us on this one. Do you enjoy catching your fiance or your girlfriend or boyfriend, your spouse? Your friend, do you enjoy catching people messing up, right? It's like, yeah, like I got you. You know, it's like an aha. Have you do? Is that you enjoy that? Don't elbow people either. This message is for you. Okay, I'm just saying, like this is just for you. You take it and apply it to yourself. Okay, but uh, that's not what God does for us. Some of us, we, we bring up stuff that's been talked about, confessed, repented. There's been a clear change in direction. And listen, I understand there's some things that need to be addressed. And there's things that need to be fleshed out. But listen, if it's, if it's already been talked about, if it's already been confessed, if it's already been repented, if you see life change happen, stop bringing that junk up. Stop bringing it up. It's not helpful. When it comes to our faith in Jesus We ride his righteousness. We're made whole in him, not by works or being good, but by by grace through faith in God. And it's not like God doesn't know all the dumb things that you said or have done or all your sin or your brokenness, even the stuff that you did yesterday. God knows all that stuff. And yet he chooses to hide all of every bit of that in Jesus. In Jesus, he doesn't bring any of it up. And I'm not talking, listen, unconfessed or unrepentant sin, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those of you that choose to go, you know what? You're exactly right. That's the standard. I'm going to submit my life to that truth and move forward. So none of what we're talking about is easy, but it's better than what you're doing because it's what his word says. Forgive one another. Listen, listen. nothing preaches better message in your life. There's not a greater gospel message in your life than the forgiveness that you extend to other people. And it's the hardest thing to do. But it's also the gospel. So if there's people in your life that you're praying for that you desperately want to reach, people that have, listen, man, God will do a great work in you if you choose to think about all the offenses, all of the hurt, all the pain, all the relationship struggles in your life, and then ask God to give you the power and the courage of conviction to, to forgive people that need to be forgiven. And then watch what he does in your life. So love keeps no record of wrongs. This is Psalm 103, 12. This is the Old Testament. It says this, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. And so God is saying, follow me in forgiveness because that's what love is. And here's the last part of our passage. I'm going to end right here. Paul says, love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes and it always perseveres. And you read that and you go, that's insane. It always trusts. That's insane. Like, you, you have no idea what they've done. Like, they, they don't have a track record to build trust. Right? I, I'm, not, I'm tired of extending trust to people who break my trust. But there's this gap between, the, all, all of us have a gap between the expectation that we have on people in our lives, the relationships that we have. And their behavior. So you and I have an expectation for every single person. Our spouse and our children and our friends and our co- I mean, everybody in your life, you have an expectation of how they should act and how they should engage you. And then they have the, you have the actual behavior. And the, the only thing that you and I are in control of is what we get to put in between. That's it. We can we can expect the worst, assume the worst. Or we can believe for the best. And Paul tells us in this passage of Scripture, love chooses a generous explanation for the gaps between the expectations that we have on others and the behavior that they exude. And it, and it feels hard, because it is hard. These things are not easy. This is Jesus. It always protects. Jesus always trusts. Jesus always hopes. Jesus always perseveres. And so... Um, you and I, we might not always do those things. I know I don't. I don't always protect. I don't always trust. I don't always hope. And I don't always persevere. But Paul tells us love does. And so he gives Paul gives us this definition with Jesus in mind. Not with me or you in mind. Thank God. But with Jesus. And because God in Christ always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Even though we don't deserve it. Even though we'll do one thing. But man, we're... We'll say we'll do one thing, but then we're slow to change. Even though sometimes we're prideful and not kind, and sometimes we even hurt one another and dishonor one another, and we're selfish and we keep a record of wrongs, but love compels Jesus to stand in the gap between the expectation that God has for us and our behavior, Jesus stands right in the middle. He's your intercessor. He's your high priest. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's interceding for you right now. All of the poor choices that we make, all of the sin, all of the brokenness, all the baggage in our lives, he intercedes for us and stands in the gap. He came and he gave his life so that we could experience not only an abundant life and better relationships this side of eternity, but so that we could be in right relationship with God. Everything out of the overflow of that. Again, I'm going to bring us back to what Jesus says. Hey, love God with everything and you'll be able to love people in a way that you never could have imagined. If you love out of the overflow of your love for God, he will empower you and equip you to do things that are not normal. You will become patient. You will become kind. You're not going to be prideful or arrogant. You're not going to be self-seeking. You'll choose to trust, not in your own power, but in his power for you. So I just want to close with this today. Listen, every single, again, apply it to every relationship in your life and watch what happens. But not—I mean, it's just the word. I mean, just use God's word and apply it to your relationships and see what God does. Um, it matters in a real big way because I think people—people people who um, push back on the idea of a relationship with God, people who push back on the idea of the gospel, people who push back on the idea of doing church—do so because of people, not because of Jesus because someone said something to them one time in church, because there was some kind of scandal, somebody dishonored someone, someone like, because people people struggle to get to the gospel because of the message that we preach with our lives, and I promise you, like, if we would do this, revival would break out people's, people, our community, and our state and our nation, and our globe would be transformed if we learn how to love one another like Christ did it for us. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for a reminder of how much you love us, how much you're for us. And God, I'm praying for every marriage in the room today. God, I'm praying for every dating relationship. God, I'm praying for those who aren't in that season yet. Maybe they're single and they're but, but every relationship matters. Their peers at school and friends and God, working relationships. Help us to take this and apply it to our lives so that people, when they see us, they see you, Jesus. Help us by your spirit to do the things that are not in and of ourselves. We can't do it in our own flesh, God. We can just do it in your power. Give us over to that a deeper relationship with you, Jesus. Help us to abide in you and out of the overflow of that. Do all the things that we're talking about today. For the person who's here and um, you've never been in right relationship with God. So it's not been about what Jesus has done for you in your place. It's always about a works mentality. You grew up in church. You've attended church. You've read your Bible. You've done all the things, and yet you really still, you you still don't make it about others. It's still about you. Jesus is inviting you into a relationship with God to live and operate out of the overflow of a relationship, not religion, not rules, not a mindset that the rest of the world has, but for others. Listen, if you're here and you've never placed your faith or your trust in Jesus and you want to make a decision to go all in with him today, I would love to lead you in a prayer. I'd also love to give you an opportunity to confess him as Lord. So right where you're at, just right where you are, do something bold for me. And if that's you and you say, I want to make a decision to follow Christ today, just lift your hand right where you're at. Give people an opportunity every single week to make a decision to follow Christ and we're not going to stop doing that. Decision decision is yours to make and just right where you're sitting. And so if that's you, just say, Jesus, I Man, I give you my life in response to what you've done for me, just like Paul says, because of what you've done for me, this is what I'm doing. In response, I'm surrendering my life. I'm laying it down for you. Help me to love and serve others. Well, help me to live my life in such a way, God, that I exude the gospel. I live life so that people see love when they see me, they see you. God, give us as your church. The courage of conviction to be able to do that same exact thing when we go out these doors today. Help us to apply your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.